Bhagavad Gita, third chapter, 36th and 37th verse. This is a conversation between uh, Arjuna and Krishna. So uh, Arjuna is just coming to the realization that his lifelong friend Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You know, what a, that's a startling thing. You find out your friend is, is God, and he's thinking, wow, I got a lot of questions to ask. So he starts asking Krishna perfect questions. Every question that Arjuna asks, when I hear it, I think, well, that's what I would have asked, you know, if I'd have been with Krishna. I mean, that's the thing, you know, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Yeah, he's asking Krishna all these things. So he's asking perfect questions, and Krishna's giving perfect answers. So that's the, the Bhagavad Gita, is this exchange. So one of the questions that Arjuna asked, and you might have thought about this yourself. I know I have in the past before I read Bhagavad Gita. Sanskrit is Arjuna Vacha Atakina Paryuktoyam Papamcha Rati Purushaha Anichan Mati Varshneya Baladiva Niyojitaha. Arjuna said, O descendant of Brishni, he's talking to Krishna. By what is one impelled to sinful acts, even unwillingly, as if engaged by force? You ever wonder about that? You ever do something, and you, the next day, you wonder, why did I do that? Or maybe later on, when you did something and you think, you know, or you get into a, sometimes you get into a series of events. So, what makes me do something sinful as if I was forced to? You ever think like that? Seems like sometimes you're forced into doing something. You feel like it's not my fault when you look back. I mean, I, I wish I hadn't done it. I don't know what made me do that. I don't know what made me make that, make that decision to, to perform this activity. So, Srila Prabhupada says in the purport, a living entity as part and parcel of the Supreme is originally spiritual, pure, and free from all material contaminations. Therefore, by nature, he is not subject to the sins of the material world. But when he is in contact with the material nature, he acts in many sinful ways without hesitation, and sometimes even against his will. As such, Arjuna's question to Krishna is very sanguine as to the per perverted nature of the living entities. Although the living entity sometimes does not want to act in sin, he is still forced to act. Sinful actions are not, however, impelled by the supreme supersoul within, but are due to another cause, as the Lord explains in the next verse. Uh, can anybody think of an example? Let's say that you don't want to kill anybody. God forbid I should ever kill anybody, right? But let's say you decide that I'm going to go hold up a bank because I need money. And I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to scare them with my gun. They're going to give me money. I'm out the door. Nobody gets hurt. The bank's got insurance, so they don't get hurt. The insurance company suffers a loss, but they're real big. You know, we always think if something's big, it's okay. Like, it's okay to steal from a big corporation or it's okay to steal... 
See, you know. So, nobody gets hurt. I get in, show my gun, they give me the money, I get out. Everything's fine. So you go in there and you got the gun on, on him and all of a sudden you're on your way out and the bank guard comes in. And he goes for his gun. What are you going to do? Shoot him. You got your gun out and he's going for his. You got yourself into a, in, in a situation where you're forced to make an act. Now you could say, okay, I was just kidding. You know, it's really just a squirt gun. You know. But what if it was a real gun and he's going for his gun? You're kind of compelled to complete, you know, so you've got yourself into a situation. And there are, there are many more. I can't think of any others right now. But there are many other situations that we get ourselves into. Uh, and then we're compelled to do other things to get ourselves out. You know, it's like sometimes uh, in the Western world, especially, uh, uh, people are very uh, sexually promiscuous, you see. And then two people are having uh, an illicit sexual affair. They don't really care about each other. They don't want to spend their lives together. They just want to have sex, you know. And then she tells the guy, hey, look, I just found out I'm pregnant. You know, so now they feel like they're forced to kill the baby. Feel like they're forced to. They don't want it. Now, some people can say, well, it's not a baby. You ever have people say this? Hey, man, like, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. So, like, let's say I'm going to take an axe and chop your foot off. They say, hey, don't chop my foot off. Well, it's not a foot, it's a walking device. Oh, okay, go ahead then. Let's see. So, if I call it something different, it's okay. I call a, a human unborn baby a fetus. Oh, okay, we can kill that. I wouldn't kill a baby. But a fetus? I don't know what a fetus is. I don't know what that means. It sounds like a silly word. But we'll kill that, you see. So they got themselves into a situation and they're compelled to do something. There's no way does she want to have a baby with this guy. He doesn't want her to have the baby. He doesn't want to support the baby. He wasn't looking to have a family. He just wanted to have, you know, dinner and a movie and drinks and some sex, you know. Baby wasn't planned, but here's the baby. So we didn't want it, so we got to get rid of it. So that's another, and you can probably think of some other examples where you're forced. Where woman, you, what, same thing for when it was raped when she got pregnant. Yeah. That's, that's like, you're really forced. Like, yeah. Well, she feels forced. Yeah. You know, she feels like, well, I... This is horrible. I've got to do something. So, so what is this force? Arjuna wants to know what is this force that compels us to do things, even against my will. And I look back and I think, I wish I hadn't done that. If, if I had the choice to make right now, I wouldn't go that route. You see. So, Krishna replies, "Sri Bhagavan Vacha Kamaisha Krodhaisha." Rajabuna Samud Bhavaha Manasham Mahapatma Didyenam Ihavairinam Supreme Personality of Godhead said It is lust only, Arjuna, which is born of contact with the material mode of passion 
and later transformed into wrath and which is the all-devouring sinful enemy of this world. It's only lust. It was your lust that got you in the situation. Your lust for money made you attempt to rob a bank. Your lust for, for sex life made you uh, have um, illicit sex. You see, you wind up in a situation because of your, lot, your lust. Lust, a driving force. So Prabhupada explains in the purport, when a living entity comes in contact with a material creation, his eternal love for Krishna is transformed into lust in association with the mode of passion. Or, in other words, the sense of love of God trans becomes transformed into lust as milk in contact with sour tamarind is transformed into yogurt. Then again, when the lust is unsatisfied, it turns into wrath. Wrath is transfer transformed into illusion, and illusion continues the material existence. Therefore, lust is the greatest enemy of the living entity, and is, it is lust only which in, induces the pure living entity to remain entangled in the material world. Wrath is the manifestation of the mode of ignorance. These modes exhibit themselves as wrath and other collaborators. Corollaries, I'm sorry. If therefore the mode of passion instead uh, excuse me, if therefore the mode of passion instead of being degraded into the mode of ignorance is elevated to the mode of goodness <clears throat> by the prescribed method of living and acting then one can be saved from the de degradation of wrath by spiritual attachment. So um, before I read the rest of this let's, let's discuss what, what's, what we're talking about here. Well, uh, the living entity, our, our true trans transcendental, eternal nature, is that of a loving partner of Krishna. We love God. And because we love God, we love everything. All living entities. We feel nothing but love. We never feel unloved, and we never feel like there's no one to love. Okay, eternally we're sharing supreme love. Okay, so that's our that's our nature. Uh, we're loving Krishna. We're serving Krishna. You see. Now, when I turn that loving service attitude that I have towards God to me, when I come into this material world, now I'm trying to love me, and I'm trying to serve me and serve my uh, my desires. I, don't, I was serving God's desires, but now it's just me. I'm going to take care of just me. Now, when, when that comes into contact with the mode of passion, it becomes lust. Okay? Material lust can never be satisfied. There is no satisfaction. Okay? So it goes on. You're hankering. You spend a lifetime of hankering for, some, for other stuff and lamenting for what you can't get. So you're going through a life cycle of hankering and lamenting. I want, I want, I wish I could, I wish I had it. I want this, I want that, but I couldn't get this. And you know, and you, you get excited by things that you think will deliver something, some enjoyment, some gratification to you, you know. I want, uh, maybe if I get 
maybe if I get the new, latest and greatest cell phone, that's going to give me some gratification, you know. Or if I get a really, really great car or, or a beautiful spouse, you know, a big house, join the greatest country club in town. You see where I'm going. People are chasing these things, you see. And when they get them, it never really has the taste enough for them to say, wow, I'm satisfied. We can see this. Uh, Bill Gates, richest guy in the United States, right? $65 billion, just about the richest guy. He's either the richest or second richest man in the world. There's about four or five up there with him, and they're all close, okay? Let's take all of them. I don't remember all their names, but there's like, let's say, I think there's five of them that have over $60 billion, okay? The five richest men in the world. Do you think any of them is satisfied and bought that island out in the Pacific? Their own island? They got enough money, they can buy an island, put security on it, and just be, have their, their exotic foods flown in, entertainment flown in. They've got the money. They can hang it up. They can sit on the beach, their beach, private beach. You can't even approach their island. They can have their own world. Does any, have you ever heard of anybody truly doing it? We hear about it in the movies. We hear fairy tales about it. Who has done it? None of them are satisfied. They want more. I've got 65 billion and I'm not quite there. Maybe 75 billion. That, that might do it. When I get 75, maybe 80 billion, then I'll feel secure enough that I can hang it up and buy that, that island, you know, with my own airstrip and everything. And then when they get there, it's probably, you know, maybe 90 or 100 billion I need to, to feel satisfied. I'm not satisfied yet. I've, I'm trying to squeeze a little bit more taste out of it. You know, I keep thinking that there's going to be some ecstasy here. There's going to be some real sweetness. But it just never really comes. They're never totally satisfied. If it was, we would see scores of people. You know, like we, we would see Hollywood squares. I mean, Hollywood squares. Hollywood stars that become wealthy and disappear. They would disappear. They'd be, they'd, they'd be on their own island or someplace all by themselves. But they don't. You know, some of them are making 90, 100 million dollars a year. Every year. And they've been doing this for a long time. And they're still working. Now some people say, well, it's because they love the work. Do you really think it's work to them? You see, they've got, they got to do this, they got to do that. They're under somebody's authority. People are telling them what to do. They're rich and independent. They don't like to be told what to do, but they keep going because they, they feel like if I get more, if I get more fame, if I get more profit, if I get more adoration, my fans adore me, if I get more distinction, if they see that I'm the greatest actor or the funniest comedian or, you see, if I can be more famous, wealthier, more distinguished, more adored, then I'll, then I'll have it. It's just they don't ever get there. You see them working and up until they die. You know? 
Does anybody know Bob Hope? You ever hear Bob Hope? You know, he's he's probably too you're too young for to remember him. Bob Hope was uh, uh, he was a movie star all through the '30s and '40s and comedian, funny guy. You know, he was on Johnny Carson. Rich had tons of money, tons of money, and uh, worked all the time, all the time, up until his 95 years old. He kept on. He never stopped to enjoy it. When he died, he left his family gazillions of dollars. But he always felt like, you know, I'm not ready to stop yet. George Burns is another one. You know, he, he worked until he was 96 years old. He had gazillions of dollars. He had fame, profit, adoration, distinction. But it wasn't satisfied. He kept thinking, if I keep going, maybe I'll, a little bit more and that's, that'll, that'll do it. You see? Lust. And it cannot be satisfied. I'm hankering, and then I'm lamenting because I don't. I'm not there yet. I don't have it. You see. So uh, that lust is never satisfied, and it turns into wrath, anger. The Sanskrit word is krodha, anger. And I'm angry. I I work my life. You know, I work myself to death, and I I accumulate money, and I'm just not happy, and I think it's somebody else's fault. I think it's, it's probably your fault. You know, it's not my fault. I'm famous. I'm rich. And you know, maybe I married the wrong woman. Maybe I need a new wife. I'm rich. I can have any woman I want. I can afford to divorce you. I'll buy you out, send you away with a few million bucks or a couple of billion or whatever it takes to get you gone. And I'll get somebody half your age. Oh, that's what I need, a young one. That happens all the time, doesn't it? We've seen that all our lives. We don't see any happy rich people. I used to know a lot of rich people. Well, I still do know some. How many have one? Huh? Happy rich person? One? Only one? Well, you might have caught him on a good day. Yeah. You know, or a good show. Or a good show. It's all a good friend of mine. Yeah. Alright, so there's one. An exception to every rule. Typically, generally. They're all on drugs, and they're all divorced, yeah. and they're all on uh, Now that's a good point. A lot of these, these uh, stars who make it big, they get fame, lots of profit, adoration, distinction, and overdose. Why do they overdose? Why does somebody overdose? Because they, they try it, and it'll get you almost there. So a little bit more might get me there. It's lust. They're compelled to do it. This is my enjoyment. We've seen, all my life I've seen rock, rock stars, movie stars. I mean, you know, if so I'd like to see somebody do some research and come up with a list of famous people who OD'd on uh, some kind of drug. I mean, you could do just heroin and the list would be way long. I mean, it would make your jaw drop, you see. So they keep trying to squeeze it to get more, more. My fame isn't doing it for me. My profit isn't doing it. My adoration, my distinction, my drugs, my friends, my, my wife, my husband, whatever. It's not doing it for me. Therefore, uh, damn it, I'm angry. 
see this anger turns into delusion therefore drugs whatever I'm now I'm desperate I'm deluded I'm desperate and you, you see some of these people who end their lives say on an overdose or many of them commit suicide and you think how can somebody who has everything quote-unquote everything why would they kill themselves Halle Berry she tried to commit suicide once that we know of because everything in the world is really nothing but she doesn't know that she thinks it's everything and she's wondering I've got everything I could have anything I want I've got money I could I could marry almost any man I want but life's so bad I want to kill myself so we can see it doesn't work you become delusioned you become delusional so first it starts out when you take the love that you're giving the Supreme that you're giving Krishna and you start turning that love to yourself you're serving God in loving service then you start serving yourself in loving service you see you're in the material world looking out for numero uno and when you come in contact with the mode of passion there's three modes of, of material nature goodness passion and ignorance okay you start out in the mode of goodness but your desires take you into the mode of passion in the mode of passion you want you see, I want, I want, I want, you know. I'm passionate for a new car. I'm passionate for my education. I'm passionate for uh, uh, an ad advancing at work. Uh, I'm passionate for a big bank account. Passionate for sex life. Uh, I want to find a perfect mate, and I want this, and I want, and I want, and I want. You see. But that's, even as you get, you're not satisfied. So then wrath sets in. You're angry. You're just angry. And from that, you slide into the mode of ignorance. You become delusional. You see? In the mode of passion, you want. You, you want, want, want. The mode of ignorance, you have a tendency to be lazy. Give up. <laughs> you give up. You're looking for intoxication. Sleep. You sleep a lot. You procrastinate. You give up hope. You think, well, what was the use? And you blame everybody that put you where you are. I don't know if you've ever known any any dope addicts. Have you ever known any dope addicts? I've known I've known some. I've worked with you know to try to help them. And one thing they all seem to have the the same. Almost it's like a cookie cutter. Whether you're an alcoholic or a, a heroin addict or whatever, you know what? It's always somebody else's fault. Wouldn't that be a, like a, maybe an attitude thing? Yeah. It's, an, it's attitude. Like yeah. It's like mode. That's what you're saying. The mode? Yeah. The mode of your ignorance and that mode when you're doing these kinds of things and that mode makes yeah. you behave and act like this. Yeah. That's like the mode influencing you, not necessarily a person. Right? Yeah. Because that person the, comes the, out of it and they can be God conscious. They you're, can just be like... You're being controlled by the modes. Yeah. Whichever mode you're in is you're in is controlling right. you. And you could be in a combination of modes. Right. The modes of material nature, you know, people think of them as just attitudes that I might have. The modes of material nature are real and they control you. When you're in the mode of goodness, 
you're controlled by the mode of goodness. You're happy. You're charitable. You want to help people. You're compassionate. You feel good. You don't blame everybody, you see. And if you start to want a lot more than you have, you start to slip into the mode of passion. Which means you work real hard, you study real hard to get a better job, you, you know, your anticipation for more goes up. More never comes. Even when more comes, it's not enough. It doesn't satisfy. So then that, that pulls you through wrath and anger into the mode of ignorance. It's that downward spiral. You're, it's, a, it's a death spiral. You know, you're it's going, very blatant with rich people, right? They come from nothing. And they're like so sweet. And they like want to, you know, be just stars. And then they work really hard, work really hard, but when they get in it, and then they still find no happiness. And then they go to drugs. So were they the person, which mode were they in? Were they the person? Were they the person when they were in the mode of goodness? Right. Were they in the process? Were they when in passion, like working super hard all day and night, exhausted, really unhappy, then you know, like still not finding that happiness? Or are they now the mode where they're like ODing on drugs and they're miserable and they look like they're dying and. Yeah, it, which, which question is, the mode, is the it mode just mode. their attitude? Is yeah. it just that they're seeing life the wrong way? They don't have a choice. The mode is controlling them. They're controlled by the mode of passion. When you're in the mode of passion, you have to operate in the mode of passion. It will swallow you. It forces you. Until you say... All right, let's say you're in the mode of passion, and you say, I've had enough of this. This isn't taking me anywhere. I'm going to stop this pursuit of material gratification. Well, what does that leave? Oh, spiritual gratification. So immediately, without you even knowing it, you start moving towards the mode of goodness because your, your, your mode of thinking changes. Your attitude changes because you're choosing. You know, I don't think I'd, I'm going to want and want and want. To heck with this. I'm not going to get caught up in the rat race. I want to pursue spiritual life. You see? Even if it's, you know, uh, even if it's just something like, I'm going to take yoga. Well, there's in most yoga practice today in the West, there's hardly anything spiritual, really spiritual about it. You can't go to a yoga salon and find God. All right, you can sit there and om all day long, and you're—you may have some illusion that you're feeling something, and you are—you're feeling better. Look where you came from. You came out of the mode of passion. Heck, if you just went and sat on the beach, you'd feel better. But so you start to feel better. Why? Well, now I'm not eating in the mode of passion. I'm eating in the mode of goodness. I'm eating healthy food. I'm associating with other people in the mode of goodness. They kind of cheer me up. When I was in the mode of passion, all of my business friends, they're all trying to get everything. Well, I was influenced by them. I had to get it before she got it. You know, I have competitors. Even my friends are my competitors. You see? That's the mode of passion. The mode of passion is the pivot point. Because you can go either way. You can head north to the mode of goodness, or you can head south to the mode of ignorance. You can get tired of it. You can say, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm chasing things and I'm not getting the gratification I deserve. 
I think it's time for me to get out of this. I need some strong drugs. You know, I need it. First of all, I'm starting with happy hour. I'm going to go toss them down. I don't know why they call it happy hour. Yeah, but they're not happy. No, no, I know, I know, but I'm yeah. saying they all thinking like I will be happy. I'm getting off. Yeah, they're happy. Yeah, exactly. They're happy they're until they get there. Exactly. It, until yeah. they get drunk. It's the hour I'm getting off work, and I think now I'll be happy. I yeah. think I'm gonna be happy when I'm on that vacation. But if you're unhappy the whole year, and when you get to the vacation, how do you become happy? People don't. I, like I see friends that are, you know, from when I was younger, and they're like. I'm on my way to the airport. This drive is taking so long. That flight took so long. There's so many things wrong with my hotel. I'm like, you're in Mexico. Be quiet. Yeah. And you just have something to complain about. The That's time. the mode of passion. <laughs> the guy in the mode of passion caught in traffic is like, damn, what's going on up there? Why don't they? It's why don't they make the roads wider? Why don't they repair the road? Why don't they? The guy in the mode of goodness is. Like, Hare Krishna, yeah. Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna. Yeah. I'm not in control. Krishna's in control. If he wanted the traffic to go fast, it would be going fast. Obviously, he's chose to make it go slow, but you're right. So now that I'm in the mode of goodness, I can choose whether I want to be happy, whether I want to be peaceful. How do you become peaceful in the mode of passion? It can serve you a higher purpose. You can take a long weekend. Businessmen do that. They take a long, a long holiday. You know, they'll go away with their wife, maybe, maybe their children, and uh, there's these, there's this beer company. Uh, I don't remember the name of it right now, but they have, maybe you know what I'm talking about. They have these commercials of uh, like a beach scene. You see, like the back of two chairs, beach chairs sitting on a beach. And it's two people, a man and a woman, sitting there, and everything is so serene. And the, the, the waves are lapping against the shore. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, they're squeezing lime in their beer, and they're like, well, these people are wealthy, you know, to do. And they found, so in other words, basically, I'm in the mode of passion. I'm living in a pressure cooker. So I'm going to go to the beach and stay drunk for a weekend. So I go back to the mode of passion. Everything's the same, maybe worse, and I got a hangover from hell and a sunburn because I fell asleep and I passed out in the sun. And I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that came back from their getaways, and they say, I need a vacation from my vacation. I say, how, how was your trip to Cancun? Yeah. Oh, good. Don't even ask. Yeah, I'm going to help you over there. No. I mean, some people go away and have a little bit of a good time, you know, but they're not so much in the mode of passion. You know, when you're in the mode of passion, you're, you're governed by the mode of passion. When you're in the mode of ignorance, you're governed by the mode of ignorance. You see? It's always everybody else's fault. I was in the mode of passion, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried my heart out. I got a good education, I got a good job, and everybody pushed me aside. And, and nobody gave me credit for my good qualifications. And they're sitting there tossing back this, or shooting up this, or smoking that. You know, I don't know if you, any of you have, have ever been around some people who are uh, intoxicated on alcohol. You ever been around a lot of people who are really intoxicated on alcohol? They don't sound real happy. You know, I've talked to people who are bartenders, and the bartenders are saying, oh, God, the things I have to listen to. You know, the guys at the bar, they hate their wife, they hate their boss, they hate Obama, they hate, they hated Bush, they hate, they hate, they just hate their 
whizzed off. You see, happy hour didn't work. They anticipated it would make them happy. You know, but now happy hour closed five hours ago. Ten beers ago, happy hour closed. And now you're paying the full price. Why do you think they cut the price down? They know you're not going to come there and have a couple and leave. You're going to get your taste. It doesn't. It's not going to really do it for you. You're going to stay there and pay full price for it. You know, they're a for-profit business. Yeah, I, I also believe that like, not that they want to be happy. They kind of want to relieve whatever anger they might have had. You know, but that's to create happiness. Sorry. That's to create happiness. You only want to relieve your condition what? so that you're happy. Right. Yeah, they want. You're trying to get rid of that belief so you can become it. They want out. Right. But, but they can't. Happy. They can't get out. Yeah. There is no out. Yeah. How do I get out? I got a two thousand dollar a month mortgage payment. My BMW is eight hundred bucks a month. My wife's BMW is eight hundred bucks a month. I got kids. I got to put through college. I got myself into this. No matter how I feel, I gotta go out there tomorrow and bust it. I gotta shoot bullseyes. I gotta make this business work. But until then, until six o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna do something to relieve this pain. You know, I'm gonna drink something, smoke something, or do whatever. Maybe I'll try sex life. I don't know. I'll try whatever. I'll eat too much. I'll eat the wrong things. I don't. You know. All the above. You, you, you know, you know the checklist. I'll try this. I'll try this. I'll try this because I, pretty soon, I gotta go and do what? I gotta go surrender. I have to go surrender to what's controlling my life. I gotta go surrender to what's controlling me. And I made decisions to get me where I am. But I'm not gonna be held accountable for it. It's not my fault. Because I wanted something different. You see? What do we want? We want bliss. We want happiness. That's all we want. We want to feel happy all the time. There's that old, old song. Remember, did you ever hear that song? There's a country western song. Uh, Looking for love in all the wrong places. You have to sing it. Come on. Oh, heck, I Do <laughs> you know the song I'm talking about? Looking for love and all the wrong. It's back in the 80s, I think, you know. It was in a John Travolta movie. I would really know if you say it. And I, I, I heard that on the radio one time or in a store, you know, you can't go in a store without hearing this, this music. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, what pe that's where people are. They're looking for love. But they're looking in the wrong place, you see. Outside themselves, that's where they're looking. Well, it's not within you. You can, you can sit down and love yourself all day long. You're not going to be satisfied. That's love insanity. Love is within us. I mean, if love is not within us, then death must be, or fear, or something. Well, you, yeah, okay, I got love inside me, so what's that doing for me? Happiness. Peace. So if I, where does it come from? If I just, if I just know that I have love inside me, I'm, gonna, I'm happy. Krishna. Exactly, from outside yourself. But I'm not happy until I love... I'm not happy until I love, uh, until I turn my love to Krishna, to God. I'm not happy until I do that. When I turn my love to Him, 
you see. It's just like, what if you had, uh, well, like that plant over there. Let's say the plant starts to dry up and the leaves are looking kind of dry. So you've got to get some water into those leaves, right? Or the plant's going to, it's looking like it's going to, it needs water. So what are you going to do, pour water on the leaves? Huh? Well, pouring water on the leaf won't, it won't do. It won't do any good. You've got to water the root. Yeah. I did that before and it worked. So if you want, if if I want to direct my love to my fellow man, that's like pouring water on the leaf. If I direct my love to the supreme, everybody gets it. I become a supreme lover. I learn how to love my fellow man by learning how to love Krishna. The supreme lover, you see. Once you're a true lover, you don't stop. It's not. It's a full-time consciousness. You just love. It doesn't matter. In other words, I don't have a group of people I love and the rest of them the hell with them. You know, you love them all. You're walking along. A devotee of Krishna, when he's walking along the path and he sees a row of ants across the path, he's going to stop and try to step around them. I love the ants. I don't. Why should I? Why should I? Just because I want to take a walk. Why should I upset their life? Why should I step on them and kill them? They're innocent. They're not there just to give me a hard time. You see, the devotee doesn't even like stepping on the grass. Why should I give the grass suffering? But I have to to get to my car, or maybe I can. Okay, I'll walk across the grass to the sidewalk. You see. You have consciousness of love for all living entities, not just the human beings. And not just some human beings. Not just the, you know, I have love for the human beings who vote for the same guy I voted for. The rest of them, ha. Huh. I love people who uh, are for gun control, and I hate people that have guns. Or I love people that have guns, and I hate people that. That are that are, are foregone. This is insanity. It's insanity. Why should your political beliefs or your religious beliefs govern whether I love you or not? You're part and parcel of God, just like me. We're joined at the hip spiritually. We're all related. You ever hear people talk about? Uh, Boy, I just wish I could find my soulmate. You ever heard that? Hey, look around. She's your soulmate. He's your soul. He's my soulmate. We were together for eternity. For eternity. That's a long time. And for a short time, we've been in this material world trying to find some happiness and not doing a very good job of it. You see? So we're all struggling to get out of here together. We are soulmates. We are all part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You see? It's like his fingers, you know. He's not his fingers. Some people say, well, that makes me God. No. My finger is part and parcel of my body. But it's still my finger. It's not me, you see. Does that make any sense? So, we're all part and parcel. We're all, you could say brother and sister. We're all soulmates. We all, we were in love with each other because we were all serving God together for eternity. We had the purest 
deepest, most unimaginable love for him and for all and for each other. We came here and we made the biggest mistake of introducing self-interest. I became interested in me. I direct my love to me. My efforts go to making me happy. And I'll make you too happy too if I get from you what I what I need, you know. If uh, if you gratify me, then then you're my friend. If you don't, you know, if I like to go uh, go out every night and drink a case of beer, and you don't like to drink beer, you're gonna think I'm nuts. You're gonna think I have a problem. I can't associate with you because you're gonna think I'm crazy. But you might like to drink a case of beer every night too. So my neuroses matches with yours. I think you're sane, and I think I can. you can be my friend. And we don't need the rest of them. They think we have a problem. They're picking on us. The guy that does heroin, he's looking for somebody who does heroin. He doesn't hang around with people who don't do heroin. So therefore, we find ourselves matching up with people with, that are like-minded. Like they have a neurosis that matches up with mine. I can associate with them. They don't think I'm a nut. Everybody else thinks I'm a nut. And the, tr and the truth is, I am a nut. Spiritually, I'm crazy. I'm doing insane things. I've hurt myself. <laughs> I'm hurting myself. I'm destroying my life. I'm in the mode of passion, searching for more, 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 getting more and more unhappy. And I did it to myself. Now you could say, well, my mother always wanted me to become a doctor, and my, you know, they, were, they always pushed me to get a better job. You know, well, you can always say, no, nah, nah, I don't think so. We're going to do it. You could. You see. So we find that the mode of passion, which is where most of us are, where most people tend to be in the mode of passion. And you'll see people in the mode of passion are in maybe a combination of passion and goodness. So they're a little bit goodness passion, or a little bit passion and ignorance, you know, but that's the pivotal point, you know, and it flows back and forth, toward, it heads towards goodness, it heads towards ignorance, and maybe you can kind of balance it for most of your life and not fall all the way into total ignorance, you know, but ultimately you're going to lose, you're not going to get, uh, your, your um, material desires are never going to be satisfied. So how do you win spiritually? You win spiritually by turning your love. That's that's the perfect question. Hey, Hare Krishna, good to see you. You reverse the process. You you undo your original mistake. By thinking that I, I take my love off of me, and I take I stop trying to make me happy. I turn my love to God. And I try to make him happy. And now, what happens to my lust? This is a trick question. What it's happens? It's huh? No, no. Uh -uh. No, it doesn't. I still have it. I still have it. But I'm lusting to please Krishna. Now I have lust to please somebody other than me. God has lust. see? Yeah. Lust isn't bad. We turn it bad by every single commission. And you can't see it. If I if I use it 
for, to satisfy me, I get in real trouble. If I, if I have a lust to satisfy Krishna, I'll have a lust to satisfy you. We and to see you have something degraded. To us in this conditioning, it's something degraded. But if, it's like right. you can use you can use the word fag, but what fag means is cigarette. But we use the word fag to, to degrade somebody. It's the same word, but we have two conceptions of it. You know, but it's only one word and it actually has one meaning. So we just associate with things with our conditioning or what definition we think we associate or the, and we don't understand the other one. That's all it is. Everything is like that here. Yeah. Every single thing. Passion. Is, is passion bad? We're talking about the mode of passion. What if I'm passionate to serve Krishna? I have all these desires to make him happy and to make you happy and to look out for your needs. I'm passionate. I have all of these desires. I want to do something for my fellow man. I want to do something for, for Krishna. I want to give my life to making Krishna happy. And I'll work 24 hours a day if I have to to do it. Now I'm happy. So I'm using the mode of passion to serve Krishna. But it's not the mode of passion. I'm using passion itself. But there's a mode above the three material modes. And that's called, there's goodness, passion, and ignorance in the material world. Above those three modes in the spiritual world, there's pure goodness. Pure goodness means I do for Krishna. I do for my for my fellow living entities. You see. Now that's kind of upside down and backwards from where we're conditioned to think. Because I think, well, wait a minute. In the material world, I think, but you know, if I do for you and I don't do for me, how do I know you're not gonna just keep it and, and you're never gonna do back for me? How do I know I'm not gonna come up with short end of the stick? That's material thinking. Spiritual thinking is I don't care. I don't care what you. There's no strings attached. If I want to serve you, I'm not asking you to serve me. The reward is that I get to love you. I get to serve you. That's my reward. And if you say, well, but I want to serve you, well, that's okay if you want to, but that's not part of the deal. That's, there's no strings attached. It's unconditional love. We hear that, but truly, unconditional love means. I love you because I do. Not because you give me something or I'm expecting something back. You can say to somebody, I, I love you. And they say, well, I don't love you. So that's okay. That's not part of the deal. I'm not forcing I don't. Because you don't love me doesn't stop me from loving you. That's spiritual thought, you see. In other words, I'm going to take me out of the center. I'm going to give up my uh, self-interest. I'm going to take up your interest, and your interest, and your interest. I want to see that you're happy, you see. I want us all to go back home, back to Godhead, and be properly situated, you see. And if I, and if I try real hard, you'll become happy. Krishna sees me trying to help others. He becomes happy. When God becomes happy, we're all happy. If you do something to please Krishna, you feel extremely happy. That's where you get your happiness from. That's where you get reciprocation from. So then you don't have to search for it in everyone else. So it's yep. not a lonely state. It's a happiness that you can't measure. It's a, you know, it, it feels like you're going to 
like you're going to explode with tears any minute. When you've, when you've pleased Krishna, you know it. You feel your heart's like warm. And, you know, you feel your eyes filling up with tears. And, you know, and it's, it's a sweet feeling. It's not like, oh, I didn't go. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like the Bible uh, scripture that says, love God with all your heart. So That's the first commandment. Yeah, kind of yeah. seems similar to that. Like exactly. How we so we can't even know love until we love God first. Yeah, that's exactly right. No matter how much you think you, you do, you don't. Because everything is like a knockoff. Because when, it, yeah. when we take him out of the, out of the equation, now I'm, I'm, I'm loving you for some... I'm expecting something in return. Yeah. I mean, we see it if we look, if we look around. If we get out of our fairy tale world and think, but I'll be the first... Or I can I can I can break through this. You look around at the people who are having love affairs, and it usually starts out real sweet and rosy, and after a while it starts to fade, and then they hate each other. You know, I've seen so many people that get married, and you think, wow, they, these guys are really in love. It's going to last forever, and after some time, they want to kill each other. You know, they get lawyers and they do crazy things, and they sue and fight for the children. And what happened to the love? Oh, I don't think it was really ever there. Love doesn't go away. When you get it, it doesn't leave. It doesn't leave. Even in the material sense, there's hints of it. We can prove it materially. I've, I've, I've counseled a lot of parents who have uh, drug-addicted children. They do heroin. They've stolen everything in the house. Everything in the house of anybody, all their mother's jewelry, all the cameras, the televisions, all the electronics, they've stolen it all and took and pocked it to get money to buy drugs. They've turned the family upside down. They've ruined everything. Stolen the cars and wrecked them. I mean, it's just horrible you hear these stories. And you say to them, well, how do you feel about, how do you feel about your son? I love my son and I want to help him. You see? I want to help. I, I can never stop loving my son. You see? They're not getting... <laughs> so there is evidence of this, of this uh, that the fact that love doesn't go away. Real love doesn't go. When you find it, it's there. It's permanent. You see? The material, in, in the material world, in a material relationship, it's doomed from day one can't endure because it really wasn't there but it's an illusion of love and when you're in real love then you start to see clearly so then you see people's modes and when they come to you with those modes and their natures like it speaks about in the Bhagavad Gita you can see clearly that you don't want those person's modes and that person's lust and that person's mood affecting that love because you know it's only going to disturb that and you don't want that disturbed anymore by that because what you really are after is the highest. And you don't want to sacrifice that anymore for something lower. Like, that's like trash in the street, because you know, you're not at that low, when, unhappy when, level anymore. When you fall into the mode of passion... Uh, you know, you're not a beggar anymore. You're not begging for like, oh, please, please make me feel good, even lustfully, like anything. You're not like after that like trash anymore. You're like, no. You know, if, if there was a meter that would let us know when we fall, fall into the mode of passion, you know, 
the passion meter that will start to flash. You have just now entered the mode of passion. Please turn Stop. around and go the opposite. We don't have that. So people get into the mode of passion and they don't know it. They still think I'm in the mode of goodness. Can this happen to devotees? Sure. It happens all the time. Because they're not careful. Or they get swept away by it. Lust. Lust. They get swept away. Because they're, they're not mature enough to deal with it. They find themselves in the mode of passion. They start to envy. They become angry. They start to hanker. Wait a minute, things aren't happening the way I planned. Oh, you're forgetting. I, I, I never was in control. It's I, me, and mine comes back into play. Even though we're devotees, we're practicing. Doesn't now for the pure devotee. Once you've conquered it, that doesn't happen. But early in the game, you can get swept away by this mode of passion, and and the the passion light doesn't go off to let you know. It's like your, when your car starts to overheat. You know, and it says a little chime, ding, 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 ding. The red light comes on doesn't happen. You don't know it. Now I find myself finding fault. I don't I think you ruined my life. You know? I think you were making me unhappy. I don't think I like the, the way that things are, are happening. I think I'm gonna change things. You know? I'm gonna make it right. I'm gonna change Because I'm not getting people. I'm not getting my due here. Yeah. You see? Other people not Does it mean I'm a bad person? No, I fell into the mode of passion. You see, somehow along the way, I uh, I slipped. I let my self-interest slip in and kick me. So what do you do? Turn around and go the other way. <laughs> Stop. Give now. up my self-interest. <laughs> Stop blaming other people. You know, you're the cause of my unhappiness. No, it's not true. Even people that believe in the law of karma will blame others for their suffering. How is that? How can you believe in the law of karma and blame somebody else? No. Even the Bible says, as you sow, so shall you reap. That's the law of karma. It's the law of cause and effect. For every action, there's an equivalent reaction. You see? So, as it's happening to me, I earned it. I brought it on myself. You see? Pure understanding is that everything that happens is the mercy of the Lord. If I'm suffering, that's His mercy. I'm paying back karma. I'm getting rid of a debt. I did something bad, it's coming back on me. And you know what? When it passes, it's going to be gone. And if I stop doing heinous activities, I'll stop receiving rotten reaction. If I stop sending it out, I'll stop having it come around behind me. The root truth is how to change thought. You gotta destroy self-interest. You gotta put your interest into serving God and God's devotees. And when you fall down, not be like so hard on yourself that you can't make yourself feel like I've got to stop now, no matter how hard it is. I just have to stop now because it's only going to get worse. Things don't get better; they only get worse. Well, what does what does Krishna say? What do the scriptures say uh, that a devotee has to do? Let's say not a, not 
let's just say it's beyond getting in the mode of passion. Let's say a devotee falls down and he starts doing heinous activities. Rotten. What does he have to do to atone? To start chanting? Huh? To start chanting? That's part of it. What does he have to do to atone? Start devotional service again. That's the requirement. Just look back up instead of looking down. Get back on track. Get up, dust yourself off, get back on track. Get back in the groove. You see? So that's so that's what you're saying. We don't beat ourselves up. So <laughs> I've done the craziest things. It was stupid. I made the biggest mistake. Alright, yeah, you did. Okay, we agree. Now, let's go out and distribute books or let's go make devotees, let's go do let's go do service. You know, you're right, you goofed up. You know. I I did. Alright. Big deal. That's over. That's history. Let's go forward. Here we are, going forward. You see? It's not like Krishna sends a thunderbolt down. <laughs> no, but if you degrade more and more and more, it's just harder to get back up, back up, back up, you know? Yeah. You go through the modes, and how much more, like you're in ignorance, and you're already, you have no energy, you don't want to do anything. Regardless how far you fall, the, the recipe oh, for sure, but is, you is the same. Yeah, you just gotta get back up. Perform devotional service. You know, that'll correct it. So, uh, what time should we wrap up? Yesterday, five, ten minutes. Okay, about five, ten minutes. Alright. So, we got about five, ten minutes questions. for questions, discussion. Anybody? Comments? I have a question. Yes. Yes. Thank you for the program. Very nice. Uh, Where'd that guy so, come from? Um, <laughs> so you're, you're, you're saying that um, you know we should love unconditional without expecting anything in return. This is an extremely elevated position, so how can we work our way up to that? Practice. <laughs> Practice. You know, it's like, when, how do you learn to ride a bicycle? Practice. You know, you're, you may you may fall over a couple of times, and you get back up and you get back on it. You see, you may need uh, a big brother to hold you up, like yeah. in, in the button. Your, your dad holds you on the bicycle, and here you are riding. So you need the help of a guru, a teacher. Practice making all your actions non-sacrificial. But you get help from someone who can help. You see, you, you need good association. And not the that's, 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 the, that's the key. We, we, need to, we need to be very careful of our association because we can be influenced by people. See, if, we, if we associate with those who have a poor attitude, it's going to rub off on us. You know, you know if we spend, uh, if, if we get in, in the fire, there's a chance we might catch on fire too. So uh, we practice, we try, we associate with those who are, who are doing it. We learn from them, and you just inquire, hey, how did you get where you are? Hey, if you got a minute, tell me what I'm doing wrong, what I should do right, what changes should I make? You know? You can ask that how did you get where you are? Share with me your, your failures and your successes that got you where you are as an elevated soul. You know? Please enlighten me. So you're looking for knowledge. You know, and you get that from 
Shiksha Guru and Diksha Guru. You can have many, many Shiksha Gurus. You see, so you associate with those who that you that you want to emulate. You don't associate with those that you really don't want to be like. You look around and you think, well, you know, I like I like that guy there. I want to be like him. So then you associate with him. You know? So simple process. Well, that's a good question. It's an appropriate question, really. You know, I mean, it's just because it sounds like a lofty thing. How do I do that? A lot of the concepts that that in the Bhagavad Gita, basically, any time a devotee's mentioned, it's like a pure devotee. You know, so you know, we're not there yet. You know, there's different degrees from being there. So if we're not there, we can't practice those uh, in their you know, real form. You know, where are we and how do we continue? And, and, if, and if we can't practice them, um, is there something that we settle for? Um, Don't compromise. You want, you want the whole, what do they call it? The whole enchilada. You want the whole thing. You, know, you want Krishna praying. So we, we try and we fail, but we just keep trying. Just keep on going. You surrender. If you surrender to Krishna, what does he do? He picks you up and carries you and does it for you. You see? It's not that we have to learn this all on our own when we can't do that. By the mercy of Guru, by the, by the mercy of Krishna, one gets a Guru. By the mercy of the Guru, one gets Krishna. And Krishna makes promises all through the Bhagavad Gita that I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll, I'll help you. Yes. Yeah, well, one thing about in regards to this, but it's really difficult to carry on um, this total order, what Dr. Michael was saying, without the help of a guru. Yeah. Because unless guru is there, there will be no strength to, to even make an attempt. Or maybe we'll make an attempt, but won't be able to continue. Well, but it is, it is let's say, because, it could, because of the, I guess, instruction that Krishna gives yeah. to do that. All right, but let's say, could it, could it be possible that I could do it without the Guru? Because without the knowledge of the Guru, I could speculate and speculate and speculate. And every time I speculate, it could be right. What are the chances? Well, we're not if all, all of my speculations. Now, because some people think, well, I can figure this out for myself. Yeah, right. You got yourself into this mess. You got yourself into this material world. You got yourself into the mode of ignorance, the mode of passion. You know, you're suffering and you realize that, that you are in uh, darkness of ignorance. But you can get yourself out of it all by yourself, you don't need a guru, you know, that's like, uh, I heard somebody say something, you've heard, uh, what is it, uh, Mark Twain said, one who defends himself in a court of law has a fool for a client, so one who serves as your own, if you serve as your own lawyer, you have a fool for a client, see what I mean, somebody said the other day, one who poses as his own guru has a fool for a disciple. 
What what makes me think that my speculation? But it, go, it goes beyond these, beyond the understanding. What he is talking about is the applying of what we have understood. So it's just to apply it has to actually come from the Guru. Yeah. With instruction, he gives the strength to carry on. And so, it comes so from association. So therefore, so therefore, it's an imperative. One must approach a Guru. If he even thinks about making an ounce of advancement, it's the very beginning. It's the only the beginning, the initiation. Until that point, we're just kind of expressing our desire. I really want this. I really want to make a headway. Yeah. But in reality, we're just kind of in a neutral, revving our engines. And, and when we approach a Guru, what are we doing? We're looking for somebody who already knows, somebody who's well, already Prash, figured Pari it out. Prashna and Seva, you know. yeah. Humble inquiry and service. Yeah. That's the transmission. We don't advance by our own endeavors, by our own strength. Yeah. We, in, we advance by the mercy. When the Guru and senior Vaishnavas are pleased, by their kripa, by their mercy, we can make any headway. Yes. It's not our strength, our, you know, our way right. to, you know, intelligence through whatever abilities we might have. Yeah. But pleasing our seniors is when we make heaven. That's what Krishna takes and then he picks us up. Yeah. True. But that goes against the grain of the materially afflicted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to listen to nobody. Exactly. I know the way. I'm as smart as anybody else. Yeah. I mean nobody's any better than me. You know, so that's the that's the mentality. So, why should I give so much respect to some one person? Why should I? He's no better than me. If he figured it out, surely I can. So that's the way people start to think. You see, until uh, until a certain point. We reach a certain point when we say, "All right, I'm throwing in the towel. I, I, I can't do this on my own." You know, Arjuna in, in the second chapter, he told Krishna, "No, I can't do this on my own. You know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know at all what's good for me. I'm lamenting and, and I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy and I'm, I'm sad and I, well, I don't want to do my duty." In my current position, I don't know at all what's good for me. But I think you do. So, kindly instruct me. I'm a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. And Prabhupada calls that, uh, that's a, a, a pivotal point in your life. That's the, uh, the epiphany that people talk about. Some people say the epiphany is when you see God. No, the epiphany comes when you realize I can't do it on my own, but I think you can help me. I submit to you because I realize you've got some knowledge. Because I look at your life and I think you're doing it. So please help me to be more like you. You see, I surrender to you. Please instruct me. But until we get to that point, until we get to the surrender point, uh, it's difficult for us. Because I've got my self-interest. I'm still thinking about me. I, me, mine. My false ego. I can do this. I'm as smart as anybody. Yada, yada, yada. You know. 
So until we realize, I, I don't think I can do this by myself. I need help. You know, once in a while, people, uh, people that are trying to get off drugs realize, I can't do this, I, I need help. At all periods in life, there are people who, who become very intelligent. They realize that I can't achieve a certain goal all by myself. I need, I need help doing this. So why not spiritual life? You know? I need someone to look out for me. And right now, I need some help. You know? So I, I need... Uh, in, in the... When we're in an illusion, we don't we don't like authority. You know, we don't want the authority. Especially we Americans, you know, we don't want we don't like authority. The rest of the world looks at us that way, you know. Americans they don't like authority and they're independent, headstrong. You know, not everybody else in the rest of the world is like that. So as much as we are, they are like that, but not like we are. You know, we're we're so independent and when you spend a long time outside of America, and you, yeah. <laughs> you think, oh boy, you know, God, America, I love you, but, whoa, who do you think you are? You know? So, uh, yeah. All right, our five or ten minutes are up. So, what are we going to do now, eat? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, yeah. Sounds like, a, sounds like a good good idea. We can chant a little more while Who wants to leave? Yeah. She was doing good, yeah. Would you? Would you? Sure. Good. Hare Krishna.